Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor. And this week, our guest is Dr. Ali Almamori, El Monitor associate editor who oversees our coverage of Iraq. Ali Mamori holds a PhD in theology and spends his time between Iraq and Australia, where he teaches in the University of Sydney's Department of Arabic and Islamic Studies. Ali and I will discuss the situation in Iraq, the prospects for reform, Prime Minister Al-Khadami's recent visits to the U.S. and Jordan, and Iraq's regional policies, including its relations with Iran. All that after this short break. Prime Minister Mustafa Kazemi and also the current President Barham Saleh, both of them are talking continuously and frequently about turning Iraq from a battleground to a round table that can guarantee the cooperation of all neighboring countries and all international powers involved in Iraq. They are trying to make Iraq as a bridge for peace and cooperation. They are trying to involve all the uh, conflicting uh, parties into Iraqi economy. That's El Monitor Associate Editor Ali Al-Mamori, who will be joining us shortly. But first, let's start with my take on Iraq and on the visit to Washington two weeks ago by Iraqi Prime Minister Mustafa Al-Khadami. Now, in introducing Khadami at the White House, U.S. President Donald Trump referred to him as, quote, a very highly respected gentleman all over the Middle East and respected very much by our country, too. Kadami, who served as head of Iraq's National Intelligence Service before becoming prime minister, and by the way, where he was highly regarded for his professionalism and work fighting ISIS in Iraq, Kadami is an independent politician in a country thick with well-worn ethnic and sectarian political alliances and loyalties. He assumed the premiership in May after two other candidates failed to muster support following the resignation of Prime Minister Adil Abdelmadi in November 2019. Now, Kadami took the job out of a sense of service, not entitlement. And upon taking office, he found nearly empty government coffers and his inbox included the COVID-19 pandemic, plummeting oil prices, nationwide protests demanding jobs and change, and the intrusive role of Iranian-backed militias as well as Islamic State remnants. Although Khadami does not command a large or dominant political bloc, he has integrity, and that counts big time in Iraq. In order to pursue his reform agenda, he moves with an unusual combination of purpose, caution, and consensus. And he is moving, pressing ahead with early parliamentary elections next year and advocating political and economic reforms to secure Iraq's future, including reining in rogue militias that attack U.S. personnel and gangs and assassins who kill Iraqi activists and protesters. The Prime Minister, of course, has his critics and opponents among the various 
political blocks, but Qadami holds a few political cards of his own. Many in Iraq's parliament who may not agree with him are also his friends. These are relationships forged in the days of opposition to Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. The protesters who have been going strong since October of last year are giving Qadami a chance. Iraqis generally know Qadami is working for his country. Some might disagree with his policies, but you can't question his motives. Qadami's partnership with Iraqi President Barham Saleh, another independent champion of reform, has given Iraq the prospect and hope of change with all the caveats that come amidst Iraq's many challenges at home and in the region. Now in the region, Qadami's line is that Iraq should be a bridge, not a battlefield. Sovereignty is at the core of his message. Iraq's borders must be respected, he says, and regional scores to which Iraq is not a party should be settled elsewhere. His objective is to forge constructive relationships with all of Iraq's neighbors. Iraq can't reform or rebuild if outsiders are fighters on Iraq's territories or if ISIS makes a comeback. Qadami has given priority to boosting ties with the Gulf Cooperation Council states, as well as with Egypt and Jordan. Ex expect further progress on all those fronts with regards to economic and energy cooperation. In expanding ties with the Gulf, Qadami says he is not looking to take sides against Iran. He wants good and normal relations with Iran and an end to militia attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq that may be instigated by certain centers in Iran. Now, Qadami was in Iran in July and was received by Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei and President Hassan Rouhani. Although Iran officially backs Qadami, we know that Iran's intrigues in Iraq are many. In Washington, Qadami received over $200 million in aid for food, clean water, and health care assistance. That's an urgent boost to help Baghdad manage its dire economic and health crises. Iraq also signed $8 billion in energy deals and MOUs with blue-chip American companies such as Chevron, General Electric, Honeywell, and Baker Hughes. These agreements will be noticed in the Gulf as Iraq seeks to accelerate investment from there. The U.S. has about 5,200 troops in Iraq to combat the Islamic State, but also as a signal to Iran. And that can be a thorny matter in Iraq, and that came up during Qadami's visit to the White House. The U.S. troop presence is unpopular among certain constituencies in Iraq, and for Qadami, the U.S. troops can be both an irritant and a deterrent with regard to Iran. In the United States, American forces in Iraq, as well as in Afghanistan and elsewhere, represent the endless wars that many on both the left and right wings want to bring to an end. And it's here where Trump and Qadami found some common ground. Qadami has made clear that Iraq does not want the United States to participate in combat missions, but does seek a sustained train and equip and intelligence partnership to keep the heat on the Islamic State in Iraq. Trump, for his part, said that he wants to eventually withdraw all combat troops from Iraq. And the Trump Qadami joint statement following the meeting reaffirmed the long term security partnership and shared interest of both countries in defeating the Islamic State and 
the U.S. has since announced that it will reduce U.S. troop numbers in Iraq. This outcome may not be enough for Akademi's political adversaries, including those in Iran, but the Washington meetings indeed reflected a shift in the U.S. and Iraqi approach to their security relationship. We have become friends, Trump said of Qadabi. And regarding the U.S.-Iraq relationship, the U.S. president said, I think our relationship now is better than ever before. To help us understand further how developments in Iraq impact its foreign policy and what comes next in the coming months, I would now like to bring in our guest, El Monitor Associate Editor Ali Al-Mamouri, who joins us now. Ali, welcome to On the Middle East. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Let's get right into it. Uh, Last October, almost a year ago, 11 months ago, Protests began in Iraq among generally young people calling for reform and end to corruption and jobs. The demonstrations and subsequent crackdown, which so far has taken about 500 lives, injured nearly 8,000, according to the the UN, led to the resignation of Prime Minister Adel Abdel Mahdi in November last year and his eventual replacement by the current Prime Minister, Mustafa al-Kadami, who has moved to enact reforms, has called for early elections, and sought to rein in those armed groups not under government control. You've been in Iraq. Tell us about the status of the protests. They, do they continue to be mostly young people? Are their demands the same or different? And they seem to be giving the prime minister a chance. How is Academy doing with his reform program? The protest actually is getting very complicated currently because some of the political parties and the militias have been successful in interfering in the protest and putting their groups inside the protesters. Last week, there was a meeting between the prime minister and some of the political parties, and both sides accused each other that uh, you are exploiting the protest and trying to use the protest as a pressure tool uh, against uh, the other. And also COVID-19 uh, made the situation very complicated. The protesters are not able to organize mass protests as it was last year and uh, early this year. Most of the time is mostly done by a small group of people that are trying to continue the tension and showing that they are still uh, on the ground. Uh, But generally, the situation is much more calmer than uh, it was in the beginning of the protest movement last year. Uh, And as you said, it seems that the majority of protesters are giving a chance to the prime minister to see if he's successful in his mission or not, but there is uh, several call now to organize a mass protest in the anniversary of the protest uh, this October. And uh, it seems that a new wave of protest will uh, start uh, if Kazemi is not able to at least fulfill some of the uh, promises that he had given to the protesters uh, in the beginning of his government. Let's take a couple of these, the the issues which have animated the protests and have been on the prime minister's agenda. 
One is recently the rise in attacks on activists and, and writers and others who are opposition people or independents. And uh, what we've picked up and been covering at Monitor is that uh, people are concerned about uh, their security. How is uh, the prime minister responding to this? He has met with the families of those who have been killed. He has called for those who have uh, committed these these murders or uh, detentions, uh, unlawful detentions, to be held accountable. How is that pro? How is that process going? The prime minister was relatively successful in prosecuting uh, some of the cases so far, comparing to the uh, previous prime ministers. Uh, for example, we had the German activists released from the abduction in two, three days last month. And we had also the shooting against the pro- uh, protesters last month, uh, last month in Tahrir squares in Baghdad. The shooters were uh, arrested and sent to the court. Uh, but the other cases, including uh, the assassination of Riham Yaqub, the young activist in Basra, the lady, uh, early this month, and some other cases, uh, including Hisham al-Hashimi, the prominent analyst on the militias and the extreme groups. About all of them, there is no any result, and there is only promise, and the promise was not followed up by any uh, real and serious investigation that end up to identifying the people that were behind the, of these assassinations and prosecuting them. What about other security issues internally in Iraq? Uh, Islamic State, is that still a concern? And if so, to what degree and in what parts of Iraq is it most concerning? Uh, of course, ISIS still is a big threat. The prime minister himself raised this issue in his uh, visit to the U.S. Uh, early this month, in the middle of this month, uh, last month, uh, sorry, in August, mostly in the areas around the central desert between Nainawas, Salahuddin, and Ambar. Uh, they are using the vacuum there to uh, get organized and uh, do some operations in the neighboring cities and provinces, including Salahuddin, Nainawa, and uh, Ambar. If the security situation and the political crisis continue, uh, it's expected that ISIS operation and activity get increased, of course. Another key uh, demand of the protesters, and something that's actually been on the uh, Iraqi agenda uh, for a while, even before Prime Minister uh, Khadami, was uh, is uh, early elections. This was an early demand of the protests. It's something that President Barham Saleh uh, tried to enact, and it requires a number of steps. And if you could help us understand this. Now, elections in Iraq uh, would otherwise be held, if I'm correct here, in 2022. But the prime minister has now called for early elections, and I think he said June 2021. And what are the steps that need to happen uh, to have early elections? And what are people hoping for that will come out with electoral reform and uh, a, a new election? Uh, yes, the Prime Minister announced that uh, he's planning to, to implement, to do the 
elections for next year, 2021, uh, June. Uh, but constitutionally, uh, it's not the prime minister's job to announce the exact time. The process is like that, that the parliament should vote on the resolution of the parliament. Parliament will have 60 days of time to announce the time for the early election. Uh, because as as far as we have a current parliament, uh, there is no any possibility to organize the early election. There is now some kind of disputes and conflict between the prime minister and the political party. Some of them wanted earlier time, for example, April next year. Some other even calling for the end of this year. Uh, and some other uh, don't want the early election at all. There, is, uh, there are three steps that should be done before the early election, and none of them has been finished so far. Uh, first of all is the electoral law. The electoral law was passed late last year in December, but it uh, wasn't sent to the president for approval, so uh, it's not official now. And the reason was because the political parties had some dispute about it after passing it in the parliament. So they requested to keep it there and uh, re-study it again in the parliament. The second step is uh, electoral commission. The electoral commission was formed, but there is also dispute about it. Protesters are not happy with it uh, because the the electoral commission was formed by current uh, judges. The protesters are asking for retired judges because the current judges are still under influence of the head of judiciary system. And there is a possibility uh, uh, that political parties uh, influence and impact them. That's why uh, the protesters are raising the request to form a new commission from the retired judge that are not under the influence anymore. And the third step is the formation of the federal court, which is responsible for overseeing and monitoring the uh, elections and and also responding to any uh, complaint about the election after it gets finished. Uh, The three steps has not been uh, finalized so far. And uh, if the situation continue like that, there is very very little possibility that early election uh, get done in next year, June. We have uh, an article coming up in El Monitor uh, about that uh, Iraqi youth are beginning to organize politically and uh, may try to participate in the elections by formation around the party. Tell us a little about that type of organization and activism. Are we beginning to see the formation of new political groupings coming out of the protests? There are three attempts, actually, or three movements related to the uh, protest. One of them is some of the protesters themselves are trying to organize a new political bodies uh, coming up from the protest itself. And there are some attempts, some of them have been mentioned in the article that you you mentioned it. Uh, and also some of the current political parties are trying to attract some of the prominent activists in the protest and uh, bringing them inside their movement so they can maintain their influence and their share and keep their share in the political system. The third uh, line is some of the 
politicians are trying to form completely new political party and trying to bring the protesters uh, inside that and mix between their political legacy and the new power coming from the youth in the protest movement. Uh, for example, Ayad Allah is uh, talking about forming a new political party, or Muhammad Tufik Allawi, uh, the former prime minister designate that wasn't successful to form the government. Both of them are trying to form a new political party, uh, forming mostly from the protesters and activists among the protest movement. Now, Prime Minister Al-Qadami has uh, also made it a priority to try to get under the control of the state certain armed groups uh, that aren't presently under the direct command of the state security systems, popular mobilization fronts or, or PMFs, as they're called. Uh, how is that initiative going and how much of a, of a problem is that for Iraq right now? He had a big move uh, two months ago when he tried to arrest some of the Qatar Hezbollah personals in Boathiyah in southern Baghdad. Uh, but that wasn't successful at all because there was a, a big protest by armed people belonging to the same uh, militia coming to the green zone and uh, surrounding uh, the prime minister office and some other governmental bodies in the green zone. And that's why the prime minister had to release the, the personals uh, that, that have been arrested a few days uh, before that. After that, the prime minister is trying to move uh, very slowly and wisely. He's trying to uh, change some of the security officers and uh, make a new arrangement for uh, some other in a way that gradually secure the, uh, some part of the uh, security forces and make sure that they have, they have the loyalty to the state, not to the militias or their leaders. Uh, and uh, continuing like that, the, move, uh, the moves, the prime minister moves are very slow, but at the same time, probably there is no any other option. The other option uh, can take Iraq into a civil war no any uh, clear end. Those popular mobilization fronts that are not under the control of the state uh, are generally uh, presumed to be linked to Iran. And uh, tell us how that fits into Iraq-Iran relations. Iran formally uh, supports the government of Iraq and supports uh, the prime minister, but yet you have these PMFs that have been uh, problematic and not fully under the state control. Tell us about Iraq-Iran relations. Iran is saying officially that uh, this is uh, Iraqi internal matter and we are not interfering in Iraqi matter and we are supporting the government uh, completely. Al-Monitor uh, had an interview with the Iranian ambassador in Baghdad last week exactly uh, the ambassador Iraj Masjidi uh, talked about this issue and said uh, we are not promoting uh, any kind of any kind of violation against the state uh, and we are not interfering in any uh, Iraqi matter internal Iraqi matter it seems that uh, the vacuum 
that was created after the assassination of Qasem Soleimani and Abu Mahdi Mohandes early this year had taken the militias into some kind of uh, chaotic situation. In the past, there was one head uh, that Iraqi state could sit with it and talk with him, Qasem Soleimani and arrange, and the militias all uh, were under his control. But now it seems that the successor of Qasem Soleimani, Ismail Ka'ani, has not been able to fill this position as it was in the past due to lack of uh, social network and the personal qualities, charismas, other uh, criteria. So, uh, so it seems that uh, the militias are distributed and their decision-making process is not like the past uh, centralized in one location. Each militia has different process and different agenda, different priorities. That's why the situation for controlling them is much more difficult for the prime minister comparing uh, with the previous attempts in the time of Adel Abdul Mahdi and Haider Ebadi. Let's talk a little about Iraq foreign policy. Uh, prime Minister Al-Qadami had uh, what is uh, considered to be a, a successful visit uh, to the United States. He met with uh, President Trump. And the Iraqi foreign policy has also been quite focused on the region. Uh, we've seen that a great deal of priority has been given to the Gulf and the Gulf Cooperation Council. There is a big project regarding uh, electricity uh, cooperation. And uh, and then the academy last week uh, was in Jordan, where he met with King Abdullah and uh, Egyptian President Abdul Fattah el-Sisi. So how do you see uh, Iraqi foreign policy and and the efforts to, to balance all of this, the U.S. and Iran on one hand, the Gulf on the other hand, and then also looking um, west, you know, toward the, towards Jordan and uh, the Levant region. Iraq since 2003 was in the center of conflict between regional and international powers, uh, between Iran and the Sunni Arab wars, between Iran and U.S., uh, between Turkey and Iran, Turkey and some other Sunni Arab uh, countries. Uh, the Prime Minister Mustafa Kazemi and also the current President Barham Saleh, both of them are talking continuously and frequently about turning Iraq from, the bat- from a battleground to a round table that can guarantee the cooperation of all neighboring countries and all uh, international powers involved in Iraq. They are trying to make Iraq as a bridge for peace and cooperation. They are trying to involve all the uh, conflicting uh, parties uh, into Iraqi economy uh, in a way that makes sure that they are not uh, ruining the situation in Iraq because it's against their national interest. That's why from the beginning of his government, the prime minister renewed uh, the electricity imported from uh, Iran for two years. Uh, it was usually renewed for one year, but he did it for two years. And he made his first uh, visit to Tehran, and he welcomed the Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani, initiative to increase uh, the economic cooperation between the two countries up to $20 billion annually. Uh, and after that, uh, did a visit to the U.S. and there was a there was several contracts up to 10 billion dollars with U.S. government as well. 
and uh, as you said visit was very successful uh, he went to jordan and uh, tried to uh, revive the Levant uh, access that it was uh, raised in the time of Abadi and Adel Abdul Mahdi as well to make a line of economic cooperation from the Gulf to Egypt uh, through Iraq and Jordan. At the same time, he's trying to go to Saudi very soon uh, for connecting uh, Iraq electricity grid to the Gulf as well. So all these attempts is coming uh, under this idea that we make Iraq a round table of economic interest between all uh, neighboring countries and also international powers uh, like U.S. You've uh, spent a great deal of time in Iraq, and of course you're uh, regularly there talking to people on the ground as well as uh, Iraqi leaders and other media. What's the feeling in Iraq? There seems to be, with all of its challenges, COVID-19, the difficult uh, economic situation. There's, there seems to be some optimism, uh, some hope uh, with the present government, including the initiatives you talked about internationally, which is to make Iraq a, a, a bridge, not a battlefield uh, of the prime minister to try to combat you know, longstanding uh, challenges with regard to corruption and getting the security situation uh, under control. What's the feeling inside Iraq at this time? Look, maybe it's very difficult to say that Iraqis are optimistic. They welcomed Mustafa Kazemi's coming to the office, and also they are happy with some of the steps that he's doing so far. They, at the same time, understand that bigger action is not that much possible. The situation is very complicated. But unlike any other period in the past, uh, since 2003, Iraqi people seems much more realistic now, and they are not optimistic that Iraq can get out of this crisis in the near and also in the middle future. They are uh, witnessing the reality of complex crises in Iraq, economically, uh, politically, security, and Iraq is involved forcibly in the conflict in the region between Iran, Turkey, and U.S. Turkey is now in the north, having military bases. Iran has uh, great influence in the south and the center. Uh, U.S. is staying in Iraq, and the sectarian line still exists. The protest, one of the first demand of the protest was uh, removing the sectarian process in the political uh, procedures and protocol process, but it seems very difficult to get over of this uh, criteria in the Iraqi political process. Iraqi people are not that much optimistic. They seem very tired, hopeless, uh, and uh, just waiting uh, to see uh, maybe some kind of miracle or unexpected uh, move uh, can change the current situation and provide better future for the people. Let me ask you one final question about uh, the role of um, U.S. troops in, in Iraq. That was part of the uh, discussions in Washington. And since the prime minister uh, left uh, Iraq, uh, the U.S. has, in fact, announced that um, American troops in Iraq will 
be reduced. And President Trump has said that he would like to, at, at some point, with, withdraw all troops. This uh, was this considered uh, successful uh, for, by, for the Prime Minister and his agenda in Washington. And tell us a little about how the uh, the issue of the U.S. troop presence in Iraq plays in Iraqi politics. Iraqi Prime Minister uh, are seeing uh, the arrangement with U.S. administration, Trump administration, uh, about the U.S. troops, uh, very successful uh, result of the negotiation, strategic uh, talk that was uh, done first time last June and second time in the Prime Minister trip to U.S. The result of uh, this arrangement was reducing U.S. troops to about 3,000 500, uh, which is the lowest maybe number after 2003, and also relocating uh, the troops from different areas to mostly two military bases, Ain al-Assad in Ambar and Harir in Kurdistan. The fewest in other uh, locations are planning to move gradually to these two bases as well. Sunnis are happy with this result because they don't want U.S. troops to leave the country permanently, but at the same time, they don't want uh, the tension raised by the militias. In this kind of arrangement, the U.S. troops will be uh, presented in uh, Sunni and Kurdish areas, not in the Shiite area, and the number will be very low, but it seems that militia also are not happy with this result. They are continuously demanding the Prime Minister to end uh, the U.S. troops completely to, and uh, getting the number to zero uh, from all parts of Iraq and asking him to fulfill and uh, to implement uh, the parliament vote early this, this year to end U.S. troop uh, presence in, in Iraq uh, completely. The problem is that that, was what, that vote was just attended by uh, Shiite PMs and none of the Sunnis and Kurds uh, attended the session at all. Not to mention that they don't vote. They actually didn't want to vote, but because they've been afraid that anyway the Shiites are planning to pass the resolution, they didn't attend at all as a sign of a protest. So fulfilling uh, this vote uh, will take Iraq to some kind of uh, division and the split that the Iraqi Prime Minister is avoiding it, uh, of course. It seems that the militias are trying to exploit this situation to uh, put more pressure on the Iraqi Prime Minister in order to maintain their influence inside the political process in Iraq. Ali Mamouri, I'd like to thank you for a fantastic conversation today about Iraq. Appreciate your taking the time and your coverage of these events for El Monitor. Thank you for having me. And we'll be right back after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. 
Elmonitor offers first-class recording and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Elmonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our Elmonitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Welcome back to On the Middle East. My takeaway from Ali Mamori's update from Iraq is that while the challenges there are formidable, the commitment to reform by the present government is real. A new generation is demanding change, and they're giving the prime minister a chance to make it happen. And the model of Iraq is a bridge, not a battlefield can and should be the foundation of a whole new approach to regional security based upon economic integration, which Iraq can lead. Thank you all for listening to On the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, please sign up for this and our other El Monitor podcast on Israel with Ben Caspit at your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.